Good morning, Mount Helena Community Church. You can have a seat. Thank you so much, worship team. That was great. And uh, thank you for being here with us this morning in person or online. We are glad for you to be with us today. My name is Jason Harris, and I'm an elder and a pastor here at Mount Helena, and I'm glad to be speaking and sharing this morning. Our senior leader, J.R. Quigley, is taking a well-deserved break uh, to rest and to recharge, and so uh, uh, we are praying for him and uh, praying uh, for that recharge in J.R. Last week, J.R. led us in the book of Colossians in chapter 2, and we I don't know how he did it, but we covered the entire chapter two uh, in the book of Colossians. Today we're going to be in Colossians three. If you want to turn there, that would be great, or uh, flip there in your phone, that would be great. Uh, This morning we're covering the risen life. God is with us, he's risen in us, and we're taking a look at that this morning. Before we do that, I want to share some of my excitement for where our small groups are headed. We're about to start a new season of small groups and uh, gathering together, which uh, this last fall we made a transition uh, from having a variety of groups and what leaders are offering and uh, various interests, uh, what they're motivated and interest uh, to offer all of you. And we did a church-wide experience, a whole church experience together in the Word together, 40 days in the Word. And uh, we experienced that together as a church and it was a great benefit, especially in this season of us being on the same page together and doing a a church-wide experience. So we're going to continue doing that in this winter semester here that's about to begin at the end of this month. And uh, we've chosen uh, a unique series. I was looking for something different. We were praying for something uh, a little bit different, something that we hadn't done before. And so uh, this is not going to be a Sunday uh, sermon series here, a series on Sunday mornings that we're going to preach through. So it's going to be unique and specific to the small groups. Uh, But it's a series done by Paul Tripp, uh, Paul David Tripp, and it's called Jonah. And so we're going to go through the book of Jonah together in eight weeks, and uh, it's, a de- it's a DVD or a video series that we'll be watching, and uh, comes with a study guide as well. Um, so we're asking if you choose to participate um, uh, to help us out with the cost of that of just 10 bucks, um, pretty minimal, but uh, uh, we're glad to help you out with that as well if you need that. Uh, we don't want that to prevent anyone. But we're not gathering in small groups just to recount this incredible and almost unbelievable, is it not, historical story. We're gathering together in small groups to go through this book and this part of the Bible for the same reason that God wrote his story in the life of Jonah, that we would experience life change. That story's there, not just for Jonah, but it's there for you and I. God was looking to adjust the thoughts of Jonah. He was looking to adjust the words that Jonah would speak because God thought his words needed adjusted, right? He was altering the motivations and the interests of Jonah, but it wasn't just for Jonah and it wasn't just for Nineveh, it's also for you and I. And so we're gathering together for heart and life 
transformation together and we get to experience it in the book of Jonah. But unlike Jonah, we get to do it together. And so I would really ask you to consider joining a small group and being a part of a small group. Uh, Just as we did this fall, we will be uh, making some adjustments to small groups that way. We'll offer small groups in a home for those that want to uh, open up their home and host a small group is really what it comes to. It's uh, not as much leading as it is hosting and uh, being able to facilitate questions and discussion and push play on the video, which for some of us can be complicated, especially drawn it uh, offline. But um, it is something that we'll be able to share with those who aren't able to make it in person. So um, a couple of things... uh, from the fall, we had we were able to, and we hope to again be able to offer a group for those uh, who want to gather in a home, and that may be with or without a mask. We hope to have groups um, that you don't need to wear masks at, as well as groups that are offered for those who would attend and feel most comfortable by wearing a mask. That may be in a home, but it also may be here at Mount Helena Community Church here in the facility here at the Gateway Center. And so uh, in addition, uh, as we did this last fall, we also offered an online group for those who just can't get together in person, but would be able to uh, share a screen online and uh, have discussion that way as well. I have gone through the material and I'm very excited for us to go through that together. And so would really ask you consider, uh, really consider what kind of group you would like to be a part of and, uh, and be involved in that life transformation, both for yourself, but with others as well. So uh, signups will be uh, offered online and uh, in person here the next two Sundays. So that'll be coming out this week. Um, I'm really interested today, if you are interested in leading a group, in hosting a group, uh, either in your home or online or here at the facility, if you would pick up one of the stepping up cards uh, off of the giving stations or the welcome center out there in the lobby and fill that out and let me know that, uh, I would greatly appreciate that and uh, we can start forming those groups and uh, and filling people in the next couple of weeks again for that to begin uh, January 25th uh, for groups to get together that week and uh, get to know one another and uh, share uh, the materials and then uh, in the month of February and the month of March uh, we'll be going through the book of Jonah together excellent well glad to uh, share that and uh, offer that to you this morning The book of Colossians, The Risen Life. Last week, J.R. shared, and Paul doesn't wander from the thought very far throughout the whole book, but he was sharing about the connection of our life today and our relationship with Christ and what we're walking out in that godly relationship. And it's um, comparison, if you will. It's likeness to the process of baptism. And Paul doesn't doesn't steer very far away from that thought throughout the whole book. And he's looking at baptism being the death and the resurrection of a believer, a spiritual death, if you will, where even in, in water you're surrounded, you're encompassed, you're enclosed, you're surrounded by water. In the same way in burial, you're surrounded by the earth. And it's a breaking free, it's a coming out. But it's a different kind of creation. It's a new creation. 
but it's not new in the sense of the original. It's an altered or a changed and a remade new type of creation. So beginning in Colossians 3 verse 1, he says this, Since then, you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. That raise that he's referring to is similar to that process in baptism. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you, all, then you also will appear with him in glory. Paul's making this point and this comparison in baptism to help us understand that it's a, a must, it's a process that must be done, that we must go through a sort of spiritual death and a remaking and a new birth. That the Christian has to come out of the process, has to rise up even like from the water or out of the earth and be different. That difference he's referring to here is, is in regards to our mind that there's a new type of thinking. There's a new way of seeing things. There are new thoughts. The world is seen differently and even the things in the world that exist that we're involved in, that we have at our convenience are used differently. And in, together it creates a different man. But that there's a new thinking. He says, set your minds on things above and not on earthly things. He's not telling us to withdraw, is he? Entirely. He's not telling us to seclude ourselves, get away from everybody else. No, as we're going to look at this morning, Paul's laying out ways to adjust our ways of relating to one another. To relating in a new way, in a different way, with new ambitions and new thoughts. But there's new sight. There's new values. That the things that we worried about before, we wouldn't worry about in the same way. That there's a new way. For instance, rather being so concerned about getting we now be concerned about giving. We set ourselves upon giving rather than getting. That we would refocus our thoughts and our ambitions and the things that we do and we'd look for opportunities to serve rather than to rule. We'd look for ways to serve rather than rule. And that we'd be more focused on forgiving than on avenging. That we seriously have a bent and a tendency towards forgiveness before we would revenge. That's a process. And that's what Paul's trying to lay out here and show us, that it's a process for the dirt to be thrown off, for the earth to be opened up, 
and to give up a new creation. It's a process for a believer to say and to stand before you and others and say, I'm confessing the Lord Jesus Christ is my Savior. And just as this process has been done for thousands of years, I'm going underneath that water. And as I shed that water and as I come out from that process, I'm declaring I am a different person. I'm a different person. That process still has to be walked out. And it's not ending. It's unending. It's not finished with baptism. It's a new start. It's a new beginning. And it's an unending process as long as we're walking the earth here. It's one of a lifelong commitment to change and to transformation and to growth. He continues in verse 5 to address this life and death contrast that needs to be in each one of us. Paul's talking about death here in verse 5. He says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And he lists things that we, as humans and as mankind, as men and women, we get seriously focused on. And he says, put these things off. They're your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. He lists those things that kind of make us squirm and go, don't bring those up, not in church. Don't talk about it. But he puts that tagline on there, which is idolatry. What is idolatry? It's lifting up something, right? Putting it before God. Putting it in a place that's before God. But I think his real point here is what kind of idolatry would that be? It would be the idolatry of ourself, wouldn't it? Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires. Those aren't just about an image. They could be. Man's even used those to try and excuse himself to be able to do those things. But really, when it comes down to it, it's a war that's going on. It's a war that Paul's drawing out to us that's about ourselves against God. It's a war of the kingdom of self and my own self-interest, my own selfishness, my own selfish desires and my own justification to do what I want to do to walk out the thoughts that I have, the interests that I have, right or wrong, perverted or not, to carry them out without a God consciousness and a God awareness. Oh, Jesus can't be standing there. He can't hear what I'm about to say. So I'm going to say it anyway. Right? And so he's bringing us aware and he's saying, these things have to die. They have to be put to death in us. They have to be buried and not be unearthed. The things that have to be unearthed are the things he's going to lead us in. But he has these two lists of things that he says need to be put to death. Just covering the first one there. These things are destructive, aren't they? That first set of lists, they're so destructive. They almost seem 
even as we read them like uh, a far-off kind of evil. And I don't think that's what Paul's trying to convey in his letter to the Colossians. He's actually trying to really get our attention. And I think he's trying to let us know they're actually closer to your nature than you'd even admit, than I would admit. He's going to persist in what he writes to bring it further to our attention. That we would make Christ first in our life. That Christ can't be second and he can't be third. Or he's not Christ. That Christ has to be first and self has to be below Christ. In our thoughts, in our speech, in our actions, in our intentions. The second list, he continues saying, because of these, the wrath of God is actually coming. You used to walk in these ways. I hear the words alone, all by yourself. In your own ways, you walked in them. In the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other. When I look at this list, I see this list as, as ways that we relate to other people. When I look at that first list, I, I see self-interest, selfishness, self-conceitedness, self-centeredness. And when I look at the second list, I see in sad and wrong ways of relating to other people. Ways that without Christ in my life, I know would be a regular practice for me. And at times are the tension that Paul's trying to bring to me as well. This is the way you're programmed. This is the way you're inclined. Would you agree with me or even consider left to ourselves and left to our own, there's a tendency in all of us that, that whatever relationship, however near or dear, no matter how good someone has been to us, there's still a pull or a tendency inside of you that you feel at times where relationships just blow apart. And that there's a pull. I'm not saying that they all do. I'm saying there's a pull. There's a temptation. There's a tendency to fly off at the handle of something that just isn't that big of a deal. But in such a destructive way. There's a tendency for relationships. There's a criticalness in us. There's a almost even unwillingness in some of us that we don't want to be understood that we don't want someone to actually know our real inner thoughts and who we really are and what our real struggles are. And if they really do, then I, I need to do something to push that away. And as bad as that sounds, it's in line with some of the thinking that Paul's writing to us. And he's saying, those are the things that Christ gave his life for. That's why Christ had to be buried because those things in you have to be buried too and they have to be put to death. And in order for life, in order for the water to be shed, in order for the earth to be opened up and to give up the new creation. He continues then in verse 9 saying, Since 
You have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. I had said it earlier that there needs to be and there ought to be a complete change in the person who gives their life to Christ and the person who surrenders their life and asks Jesus Christ to be their Lord and their Savior there's an impossibility of staying and remaining the same. Something has to change. With the Lordship of Christ, change needs to be a given. I would also say, not just at the beginning, but forever. Right? That Christ is continually looking to align us and to bring us into alignment both in our speech and our thoughts and our actions and our deed, but he is motivated to grow us, to destroy the things that hold us back. He's a barrier destroying God, and Paul's looking at that in verse 11. He says, Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, scathian, Slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. I know that we, in this day and age, we try to think that we are not, we don't have the barriers that this culture did, that this time period did. And I don't know that Christ sees it the same way when he looks into our heart and he can see these things that Paul speaks of, he can see the barriers that we put up towards one another. And that's not the message as much as it is in Christ. He's breaking those barriers free. I love these next words that Paul says. Words that have been attributed to the nation of Israel and to the Jewish people for hundreds of years and would be much more familiar to the typical Jew of the time than it is to you and I today. And I want to bring them out before you. In verse 12, he says, phrases that would be known and familiar to people at the time, he uses in a new way. In verse 12, he says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, who's Paul's audience? He's talking to believers like you and I, to Gentiles in the community of Colossae. He's not speaking to Jewish people. He's not in the temple. He's not in Jerusalem. He's in a church. He's in a gathering. He's writing a letter to that gathering of people using words, terms, and phrases from the heart of God for all those who have given their life to Christ. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, with kindness, with humility, gentleness, and patience. Again, when I read through that list, I see new ways of relating to people. There's not a way for me to seclude myself or to be alone and be someone who's compassionate, who's full of mercy or grace. The only way that could be attributed, the only way that is a virtue 
is if that individual is surrounded by people and putting it into practice, right? There's no isolated hermit that everybody thinks, oh man, that person is so compassionate. (laughs) That's not what's typically described of the person who's alone and who's hiding out and who's reserved and who's isolated and far away from the rest of humanity or society. But it's the person who's giving of themselves, who's surrounding themselves, who's serving, who's looking for ways to give rather than to get, who's looking for ways to serve rather than to lord over. These are new ways that Paul's telling us need to come alive in us. As the earth gives up new life, as we come up out of the water, I don't hear him giving excuses. Oh, you weren't compassionate before. Well, you don't need to be. That's not your personality. If it's not your personality, it's okay for your personality to change. It's okay. No matter what the profile says, you have the capacity because of who Christ is in you, because of the risen life in you, not because of the way you were born, not because of the way you were raised, not because of the way you were taught, not the good, bad, or the, ex- the bad example, but because of Christ. Because he was compassionate towards you. You can be compassionate. If you're ornery, get over your orneriness. If you're angered, get over your anger. You're meant to be compassionate, to be kind-hearted in the ways the world may not even recognize. But it doesn't matter because you're walking out a risen life that's shed the earth, that has shed the water, and is preaching a gospel and is living a life that reflects the life that forgave you. He continues saying, bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. It's not about you. It's not about what you were or what you came from as much as it is what's about what he did for you what he overcame for you. The creation that he is is alive in you. The resurrection that's in Christ is in you. It's at work in a very lively way in you in a process that doesn't end, that we don't graduate to, that we don't take a certain number of classes for, that we don't get a certificate for in a way that says one day I'll be face to face with him. Until then, I've got work to do. I've got a risen life to live out and to walk out, to speak out, and to share. And he addresses that tendency in us for relationships to fly apart. And he gives a solution here. He says, over all these virtues in verse 14, put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. When things want to fly apart, when they want to blow apart, he's saying, just love them. Love them like the Lord loved you. Love. Don't give up on love. 
Love binds together. When it's hard for you to be compassionate, when it's hard for you to be kind, when it's hard for you to be humble, hold on to love. Don't let go of it. It's going to bind the relationships together. Don't let the relationships fly apart. It's a tendency, but it's not a tendency of God to let relationships fly apart. Verse 15 says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace, and be thankful. Another version says, Let the peace of Christ be the decision maker. Wow. Love. Don't let go of love. When you can't be those things, don't let go of love and let the peace of Christ be the decision maker. Let the peace of Christ be the umpire. Let him call it for what it is. You don't have to. Let the peace of Christ umpire in your heart. Remembering the decision of Christ will keep the peace in the body of Christ. You don't have to. Your decision making, your temporary Godhead or self-interest or inflicting your expectations upon someone else doesn't have to be. God can handle it. And he says, and so be, be thankful. When we accept his decisions when we accept his peace and we let it rule, we let it be the decision maker, we let it be the umpire, we can't go wrong. He will work it out. But we can't just let it fly and let it go and break off. Then finally, in the last verse I'm going to cover this morning in verse 17 to close out this section, Paul's given us the top bar. The overreaching goal. In summary here at the end, he says, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. One of the best ways, one of the best tests of anything you and I are about to do are to ask questions of ourselves. Many of us don't do that. We just go off with rationalizations, right? That lead us to compromises. Like, oh, oh, oh. Just me? Nobody else in the room? I start going down the list. Oh, this is, this is okay. That's okay. This because, yep, yep, I understand. Get it. No, ask questions. Can I say what I'm about to say in the hearing of Jesus? Can I say what I'm about to say by also saying the name of Jesus in the same breath? Can I do what I'm about to do knowing that Jesus sees me in what I'm doing? We'll not go wrong testing our words and our actions and our deeds with those questions. Because Jesus does see us. He does hear us. And he is going, no, 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 no. You, no, I've got something better for you. 
Stop living the buried life. Stop living the dead life as if you're still surrounded by dirt. I broke you out of that grave. I broke you out of that past. I broke the clods of dirt holding you down when you came up out of that water. The water was shed. We don't do this practice anymore, but when baptism ritual started in this way that Paul's referring to, the people did take off their outer clothes, their dirty garments. And when they came out of the water, we wrap a towel oftentimes around the person coming out of the water, but they would get a new white robe showing the process that just happened there, symbolizing what had just happened. And yet Christ is reminding us of that. You are a new creation and you're different. You're different. Walk out the difference. Let me be the umpire. Let me be the coach. Let me be the decision maker. And as you do, you can't go wrong. It doesn't mean it'll be easy. It doesn't mean there won't be challenges. But those challenges don't, won't mean that I'm not the Lord and the Savior of your life. He's not as committed to our comfort as he is to our change. He's not as committed to pacifying us or bringing us to a certain level or a certain degree of maturity as he is to bring us into fullness of Christ. And we're not there yet. Not as individuals, not as fathers, not as mothers, not as brothers or sisters, and not as a church. God has more for us. He's encouraging us the way Paul's encouraging us. Live a risen life, not a buried life. Would you pray with me as we close? And as we do, I want to invite you. There'll be a prayer team up here to the side of the stage. And if you have anything that is stirring in you that you'd like to bring before God, I just want you to know that these people would love to pray with you in that as well and to pray for you. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your work in us. I thank you that you are relentless in finishing the work of the cross with us today. That God, you are not satisfied with just raising the Lord Jesus in a resurrected way. That you want and you are about raising us without a natural death, but with a spiritual death and resurrection You set us above the ground again. You bring us out of the water with a new life, with a new commitment to change and to growth and to development, like a new personality coming out, like a new person, like a new name, like a new view and new thoughts and thinking. We, as a body this morning, hearing your word this morning and what you've shared with us, And shown us, God, we continue to say, we want new sight. I want new sight. I want more of what you have for me and new thinking. God, purge in us what's dead thinking and dead living. We want to live in a resurrected and a risen way and glorify you all the more. In Jesus' name, amen. Great. Thank you for coming and being with us. Uh, this morning, uh, in person or online. 
we wish you a great week and uh, look forward to you being here next week. Uh, as I said, uh, prayer team is available if you'd like to pray with someone. And uh, if your kids are in children's church, then uh, please be sure to check them out. Have a great day.